0: the ability to compare two companies' impact and say ExxonMobil creates $39 billion of environmental damage, BP creates 13. If I believe in fossil fuels, which I don't, why would I invest in ExxonMobil? I'll invest in BP.
1: Three times the damage.
0: (laughs) Yeah, three times the damage, it's likely to get regulated, it's likely to get taxed for the damage it causes. So as an investor, I'm better off if I believe in fossil fuels, which I don't believe in investing in. But if I do, then I'd go to the one which is creating less damage, and also on the path of clean energy, trying to eliminate the damage it causes.
1: What's good everybody and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 82 of Highly Invested where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, and we ask entrepreneurs, high performers, and content creators about the best investments they've made in themselves that help get them to where they are today. Today on the show we have a very special guest often described as the father of social investment and British venture capital, Sir Ronald Cohen. This Oxford and Harvard-educated entrepreneur returned to the UK as venture capital burst onto the scene, co-founding Apex Partners Worldwide LLP in 1972. By 2000, he was knighted and chosen to lead the Social Investment Task Force from 2000 to 2010, the first of its kind in the world based in the UK, and the Social Impact Investment Task Force from 2013 to 2015. For nearly two decades, Sir Ronald's initiatives have catalyzed a number of global efforts, driving private capital to serve social and environmental good, so I want to help get his message across. Today we chat about how he came to be Sir Ronald Cohen, how the idea of impact started, and how the impact revolution is already underway. So hope you enjoy. All right. And Sir Ronald, thank you so much for joining me today to tell us uh, about your, your new book, Impact. How are you doing?
0: Very well indeed. Nice to be with you, Jordan.
1: Thank you for joining me. And so firstly, I'm curious to know, you know, what effects did 2020 have on the progress you've made so far with rolling out your impact initiative?
0: Well, the COVID crisis has really accelerated the whole process of uh, impact investing uh, for several reasons. First of all, uh, as you know, Jordan, uh, it's created even greater inequality. The most vulnerable have been hit uh, the hardest. It's also been marked, coincidentally, by uh, fires and floods and all sorts of climatic um, challenges. And I think such a big crisis which emphasizes the collective as opposed to the self also prepares us for major uh, initiatives. So we've actually seen an init- you know, initiative after initiative gather momentum uh, just as we've seen uh, stock markets go in the direction of clean energy and companies that pollute less.
1: Right, it's bringing a lot of issues that we sort of knew about to the surface that can't be ignored much longer. Right. Yeah, and well, such interesting times. And so before we get into your story and learn a little bit more about you, I do want to mention that I, I got a copy of your book, Impact, and I loved reading it. As it turns out, there's more, there is a blueprint in a way that accurately describes uh, what needs to be done and how every sector can go about it. So uh, just before we ask or get into your story, what is Impact Investing and wh- how has the idea evolved over time?
0: So impact investing is investment whose purpose is not just to make profit, but Mm -hmm. also to improve lives and the planet, okay? And, of course, uh, investors have typically looked only at risk and return rather than risk, return, and impact, as I put it in in the book. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing now is the changes in the values of, of young people like yourself, who prefer not to purchase the products of companies that pollute or create uh, social issues through employing um, child uh, labour. And the environmental uh, uh, movement, which has gathered so much momentum now, have led to $40 trillion worth of money, about half of all professionally managed money in the world, going towards what's known as environmental, social and governance investing, ESG investing. At the same time, impact investing proper, where you measure the return, but also measure the impact created, in all probability hit a trillion dollars last year. That's as much as all of the venture capital in the world. Um, so a very significant, a very significant um, Amount. And what's happening in the world today is we're turning that 40 trillion of ESG investing into impact investing by bringing the measurement of the impact of companies to it. So instead of investing on the basis of, you know, a bit of information here and a bit of information there, we're now bringing rigor to the impacts created by companies, measuring them on the basis of the same principles and therefore enabling us to compare the impacts of different companies just as we compare their profit growth.
1: It's brilliant. It kind of makes you wonder why this wasn't incorporated a long time ago, right? In a way, tracking just side effects. So
0: Yeah. And I think, I think the reason uh, probably is that uh, we didn't have ways of measuring impact. And right. today, technology enables us to measure it. Big data, computing, enable us to look at the company, measure the impact of its products, measure the impact of its operations, and measure uh, the uh, impact of its employment. Yeah. So you can look at the company's profits and you can look at the company's impacts in both terms.
1: Yeah, we've come a long way. It's good you've come up with a solution. And so I do want to go back to to kind of learn how you became Sir Ronald Cohen. So can you tell us a little bit about your story?
0: So I was very lucky uh, in my life. Uh, but uh, at the age of 11, I was kicked out of Egypt as a <laughs> refugee. All British and French citizens were kicked out and all Jews uh had to leave because uh, the Suez operation had uh, involved uh, Britain and France and and Israel, as as you probably know. But I was lucky in that uh, we came to the UK and we were welcomed in the UK. And I went to a government school which uh, trained me or taught me very well. I was lucky to find a really inspired teacher, Richard Farley who said to me, you know, you really should go to Oxford. Uh, But you had uh, entrance exams to get into Oxford, and he prepared me for them, and I got in, thanks to him. And so I was lucky to get a good education, and uh, then I came to the US to um, the business school at Harvard, and I discovered venture capital, which was another stroke of luck, because venture capital was just beginning to become visible. Timing, right. when I was there, timing is is uh, everything. Uh, and and I made my career in venture capital, and that's how I uh, got a knighthood. I got a knighthood in two thousand and one for services to venture capital.
1: It's very impressive, and yeah, you come a long way, um, most definitely, and. Uh, just how long did it take you to, um, well, I guess want to reword this, uh, very humbling, and it doesn't seem like you, or it seems like you don't take a long time to adjust to a new environment. Um, and just how did you develop some of these skills, or how did you just know to keep moving along and, and roll with the punches?
0: Well, you know, a big impetus for me uh, was uh, my father, because he took me to the state uh, school, Orange Hill Grammar School, Uh, Mm -hmm. I couldn't speak English Uh, well. I'd had a couple of months of learning English. I was uh, French-speaking, coming from Egypt, and I spoke Arabic, but I didn't speak English. And my dad said to the headmaster, in order to persuade him to take me into the school, look, it's not because he's my kid, but if you take him, he'll be top of the class. Now, I I saw that as a challenge, as you can imagine. I felt I couldn't let my dad.
1: Well, it's good motivation enough. And I think I did have a question about, sorry, yeah, that that teacher that got you into Oxford. Just curious, what did that relationship with that person early on teach you about networking in the future?
0: Uh, My uh, relationship with uh, Richard Farley was really uh, the beginning of my uh, thinking uh, like a, you know like a, an adult, uh, he got me to read a couple of hundred books <clears throat> in the space of a couple of years to prepare for this uh, you know for this exam, and I became familiar with ideas um, through him. And actually, forty years after I left school, I managed to track him down, and I saw him for some years after that to you know to thank him uh, for what uh, what he'd done for me now mm-hmm. when, when you go into the venture capital world, you begin to realize that if you 're going to attract the right entrepreneurs who are doing the right sort of deals who are you know who have business plans that uh, are in exciting areas and with the right type of business models to be uh, successful. We begin to realize that you need a very wide network. You begin to realize that uh, the more you're out and about, uh, the better your luck uh, gets. Right. And so my life um, has really been marked by a lot of serendipity. Uh, being a, you know, in the right place at the right time and investing in the right companies and, and so on. That's
1: good. Well, when things go well, you don't need to question them too often. And then so in 2000, I guess you, this kind of introduced you to um, investing with a social mindset, uh, potentially, with the Social Investment Task Force. So ha- did that help you formulate the concept of impact investing or did you already have ideas kicking around?
0: So no, it definitely opened the door for me thinking about how we could bring investment to help improve the lives of people who are left behind. Because I started to look at how a philanthropic model works and I realized it was broken. What do I mean by that? Philanthropists have obviously done a huge amount of good, but if you look at the typical charitable organization providing services to the more vulnerable, they all share two characteristics. They're small and they're out of money. And so I thought then, we published a a report about it, that it should be possible to bring investment to people who want to improve lives as well as people who just want to make money. And that set me off on finding a way of attracting investment. And 10 years later, in 2010, as you read in, in Impact, we invented the social impact bond, which was the first time we had a security whose return depended on achieving a social improvement, in this case, reducing the number of young people going back to prison.
1: Right,
0: And that set me on the road to impact investment. And as I progressed on that road, I began to realize that this wasn't just a new investment approach which optimizes risk, return, and impact. This was really the way for our economies to begin to deliver solutions instead of creating problems. That if you got to a situation where companies delivered positive impact then instead of the situation we have today, where they seek profit and create a lot of negative impacts in their way, and governments then have to tax us all to deal with it, if you could get them to deliver positive impact, then our system, our economic system, which is so powerful, is capable and would be capable of delivering solutions to the environmental challenges and the social inequalities we face.
1: Brilliant discovery. And, And so did that really come of just kind of maybe aiming big and as opposed to trying to change that too small and constantly always running out of money? Like, is it a size where having a lot of money allows you to, over time, provide solutions to the problems you're trying to solve?
0: yeah i mean if you if you think about the social inequalities we face you need to solve them at scale right it's not enough to use a bit of philanthropy here and there you need companies to begin to bring diversity to their workforce to eliminate gaps in pay and in advancement between genders and between minority uh, groups and majority uh, groups and it dawned on me then that you could do that with the whole economy if you could measure the impact of companies. Like right. if you look at the forty trillion dollars today, it's seeking to achieve more than profit, right? By going into ESG. Right. Uh, if you give the investors bringing that forty trillion the ability to compare two companies' impact and say ExxonMobil creates $39 billion of environmental damage a year. BP creates 13. If I believe in fossil fuels, which I don't, why would I invest in ExxonMobil? I'll invest in BP.
1: Three times the damage.
0: (laughs) Yeah, three times the damage. It's likely to get regulated. It's likely to get taxed for the damage it causes. So as an investor, I'm better off If I believe in fossil fuels, which I don't believe in investing in. But if I do, then I'd go to the one which is creating less damage and also on the path of clean energy, trying to eliminate the damage of course.
1: Right. And just how powerful it is to, like you say, measure it, to have that knowledge uh, and allow investors to make just better decisions through that as well. And so we have the social impact bond for social issues. And how about the development impact bond? Is it any... Um, so this would focus on developing nations, uh, or can you enlighten us on that?
0: Yeah. yeah, So there are about 200 social and development impact bonds across the world. About uh, 20 last time I, I, I looked in emerging uh, countries. Uh, they're tackling a large number of social issues in education, in health, in employment, and so on. And The emphasis on emerging countries is beginning to increase now. Uh, So coming out of COVID, for example, we're going to have huge challenges in employment. Yeah. And part of the problem is going to be that big companies aren't going to be recruiting back uh, a lot of of the people that they had to lay off because they've learned to operate with your people. Yeah. And so you're going to have to reskill, as they say, some of these young and older people for the jobs that are available. Now, you could try to do that just by spending government money, or you could do that by governments and philanthropists and others saying, look, we will pay for the results when they're achieved you get a young person off the dole and into a job and we'll be happy to pay you. And, and then use that money to repay an investor who put the money up and, and help that investor achieve a return. By doing the latter, you begin to recreate what happened between venture capital and tech investing, where I you know, I spent a good part of my career. And so you, you begin to understand that if you measure impact, you can do pay for success to achieve impact objectives.
1: That's so powerful. Cool. Because I had initially thought too, is like, how can we sort of, how can we make education uh, keep up with the changes? What, what can be done? And, you know, just thoughts that have crossed my mind as someone who was a teacher was that, um, like, what problems can we solve, right? What issues are exist out there? And how can we, instead of memorizing and passing tests, how can we just get out there and and deal with those. So that, that sounds really, really great. Now you did mention as well, the uh, you, you see a similarity in the tech um, tech boom. Uh, and, and you see that or you see similar similarity in that to impact investing. So do you mind telling I us do. about that correlation?
0: Yeah, I do. I mentioned in the book that we are in the beginning of an impact revolution, which is going to be as powerful as the tech revolution. When the tech revolution came, and I was lucky, uh, I can say it once again, to be there at the very beginning of it, some people understood that this could go very far, that like this new technology could really change a hell of a lot. Even before we had the cellular phone and before we had the internet, you could see computing, the PC, uh, changing the way we do a a lot of things.
1: That's Moore's Law, was, right, as well?
0: Sorry? Moore's
1: Law is how the processing power accelerates yeah, sorry, every two exactly. years. And yeah,
0: the increase in, in processing power and the reduction in cost are Moore's Law, as you said. Right. But there were many people who refused to see that. There were many people who said, oh, well, this is like a calculator, a more powerful calculator. This isn't going to change anything. Right. And, of course, in businesses... Uh, those who adopted technology developed completely new approaches to doing things. So you look at Amazon threatening retailing, uh, and that wasn't um, perceived by a lot of people. A lot of people continued to believe, oh, no, retailing high streets and so on, they're not going to change. They've been around for a long time. They're not going to change. Yeah. but. In the same way that we've seen horse carriages disappear, we've seen a lot of retailing disappear and shift to to the internet. Now, my contention in the book is the same thing's happening with impact. Take a company like Tesla. Tesla didn't choose to enter the automobile industry because it's always a great industry in which to compete with another combustion engine. It chose it because it wanted to shift it from creating environmental damage to being clean. And yet it managed, despite the fact it wasn't in the industry, to shift the whole industry to electric vehicles, hybrids and everything. And it's worth five of its competitors together today. Its share price went up seven times just last year.
1: Unbelievable. So,
0: so the concept of disruption is here again. But this time, it's about doing good and doing well, because that's what customers want, that's what talent wants, and that's what investors want now.
1: Right, and I guess with scale and then the, the ability to reduce your mistakes, same kind of, I see that as well. Great point.
0: In a way, you could say, Jordan, that we are at a point where three very powerful forces are driving us to make positive impact. One is the changing values we've talked about, young people in particular, but more broadly, buying only from certain companies whose values they share and and working for them and investors, going in the same direction. Two is huge leaps in technology, artificial intelligence, machine learning, augmented reality that enable us to deliver impact in ways humanity could never have contemplated and to do so in the further flung places in, in the world. And the third is technology enabling us to measure the impact of companies. And that's the revolution which is being brought about now. And like technology, some will embrace it and will do well out of it. Delivering profit and impact at the same time, yeah. and some will ignore it and be left behind by new entrants.
1: Yeah, and then but then sustainability plays a big factor, right? And I think that long term will, will make the the good ones survive and the bad ones take the garbage out themselves, kind of thing. Exactly. I heard you in an interview talking about how a century ago, even it wasn't government that funded innovation, but it was actually entrepreneurs coming together similar to what we're seeing now so can you provide some context uh and just how how that uh gels with impact
0: well there's a whole division in the world uh, between those who believe that government should do everything right and those who believe that markets and capital and entrepreneurship do everything what i say in the book is that we can use markets and capital to spur innovation and entrepreneurship to tackle the big challenges we, we face. Right. But we need government to be the enabler. We need government to create regulation that says every company has to publish accounts that show its impact in monetary terms, impact-weighted accounts, as we call them. And these accounts have to be prepared on the same basis, same accounting basis, like financial accounting. You know, in, in the 20s and 30s, early 30s, every company picked its own accounting principles. The US government realized that didn't make any sense. Investors didn't know how much money companies were making. There were no auditors to verify their numbers. Right. And today we're in the same spot with regard to transparency we know what investors and consumers and talent want. They want transparency yeah. on the impact of companies. Transparency is the new human right, if you like. But governments need to impose a set of accounting principles developed by the market, developed by the accounting firms and others like we did with the natural accounting principles. But they must do it. Yeah, these numbers have to be audited, right? You yeah. agree with that, don't you?
1: Well, I do, and I just see it as the, you know a big government. You know, the bigger it gets, you see how much slower and bureaucracy takes more time. But you know, they're enabling social programs, but it's more of yeah, pointing them in the right direction of using. I guess it's maybe their inability to keep up with the technology. Not that they haven't; they're just slower at adopting it. But once they can do that, they can enable in a different way, which is better for everybody.
0: So my, my hope is that the US government or the UK government or the Canadian government or the Dutch or the scan, some of the Scandinavian countries or the French government or the EU will take the same bold step that the Roosevelt administration took with regard to transparency on profit. will take that step now with regard to transparency on income.
1: Right. And well, so you mentioned that there's 192 social impact bonds in existence and about 30 development impact bonds. So when did those come into play? 2010 or 2000? 2010.
0: 2010 was the first one. So in a decade, uh, we got to a couple of hundred and covering 15 different uh, social issues in 30 different countries.
1: That's amazing. So we are making progress. And, and then as of right now, which countries are the leaders in enrolling out these, these initiatives?
0: So the UK has probably been the leader. I mean, this is where the social impact bond was uh, invented. Uh, It it has the largest number of social impact bonds, although the US has more money uh, per bond. And
1: so I just want to ask, if a bond technically has more money, does that mean it can reach impact faster? Like, does that help the size of the fund?
0: More people. It can reach more people. It can achieve more impact by reaching... Uh, more people and sometimes uh, faster uh, too. Okay, makes sense. So I'd say the the UK uh, was also the first country to introduce the into the public domain the cost of six hundred social issues, so everyone can look at how much a homeless person costs and find ways of taking homeless people out and rehabilitating them, enabling them to lead productive lives at a lower cost than it's costing the government. It was right. the first country to use what were known as uh, unclaimed assets. These are bank accounts which are in banks, uh, belong to people who've disappeared, and the banks hold on to the money. And The UK released uh, more than a billion pounds worth of these assets. Wow. It also allowed us to use it to set up the first social investment bank, which I was proud to fund found and chair, Big Society Capital. It has some tax incentives for impact investing. But Canada following suit. Uh, the U.S. has started to follow suit. France, in the pension fund area, brought uh, incentives for pension funds to invest in in impact, the Dutch are doing the same, in pension funds, so the Scandinavian, and and you're sure. seeing a rise everywhere in the world now. You see it taking root in India, you see it taking root in South Africa, in Latin America. A bit like uh, technology, impact is, is spreading throughout the world.
1: Good, yeah, well, I'm happy to hear that, because, I mean, things take time, and you guys taking me 28 years to learn to get this patient and hopefully next year I'll be a bit more patient, right? But I'm not sure if this is a figure you would know, but how much in unclaimed assets uh, do governments or institutions typically find on an annual basis?
0: Uh, This is a very interesting question. So, in the UK, within the banking system, we found more than a billion pounds, so a billion three uh, uh, dollars. And every year, there's an addition to that of a, few, of a few percent, but you can go beyond banks. Uh, a commission in the UK led by my, my friend Nick O'Donoghue, uh, with whom I created a big society capital, the social investment bank, uh, chaired that commission and thought there was about another two and a half billion pounds in insurance companies and investment vehicles. So for a country the size of the the UK, 66 million uh, people, uh, you can imagine that there would be three and a half billion pounds and then an additional amount flowing in every year. Very significant money. And it hasn't all allowed it to flow into uh, encouraging institutions uh, like a big society capital to be established using that money and right. attracting more money in their, you know, in their way, it would have very significant impact across the world.
1: Yeah, and before reading the, your book, I had never crossed my mind that that was a thing. So it was very interesting to, to come well, across.
0: Canada and Australia have been thinking uh, about establishing social investment banks of, of this kind. Korea. And Japan, uh, South Korea, and Japan have both uh, done so, as has Portugal. Uh, so it's spreading.
1: And so, when did you start Big Society Capital in the UK? In uh, in two
0: thousand and twelve. Two thousand and
1: twelve. Okay. And just curious, how these the social impact bonds? Do they mostly come out of out of Big Society Capital, or can it come out of different funds that volunteer to? No, just, no. no? It,
0: it, they they come out from. All sorts of different places. But big right. society capital can invest in them. You so know? you have the, the funding for them? You have the funding. You That's have great. the funding uh, okay. for it. Uh, so let's say somebody comes to big society capital and says, uh, I want to raise so many millions to invest in social impact bonds. I want to create a fund and to manage it, which is going to be the future. Um, a big right. society capital could say, I'll take 25% of the fund."
1: Okay, now okay, now I kind of get how the dots are connected there. I like really, and it's coming to Canada. Good for good for me to hear that. <laughs> and well then, why are entrepreneurs so important for the 21st century? And what is an impact entrepreneur?
0: Okay, so an impact entrepreneur is one who picks a social or environmental issue they are passionate about and creates a company whose business model allows it to deliver both profit and impact. The more impact it delivers, the more profit it makes. Let me give you an example of what I mean, John. As you know, I'm speaking to you from Tel Aviv. There's a company which I describe in the book uh, here in in Israel called Orphan. The founder wanted to help blind people because his aunt was going blind. So he invented a pair of spectacles with a little memory stick-like device on the side, which whispers into the ear of the wearer the page of the book they're holding or the newspaper or the banknote, beautifully read, okay, in many, many different languages. Right. Now, you'd say, wow, what an amazing impact venture. You have 35 million blind people in the world and another 250 million or so who have impaired vision. You just transform their lives. Right. But if you think in terms of impact, you ask yourself as an entrepreneur the question, how can my technology help the greatest numbers of people in the world? And you get a surprising answer because you get the answer, well, what if you provided these spectacles to the 800 million illiterate people in the world? What would that do for their lives and livelihoods? And so all of a sudden, you have a market of 1.1 billion people. Right. That's of 300 million. Now, that gives you a sense of what the unicorn of the future is going to be about. A venture which becomes worth a billion dollars that helps a billion people at the same time.
1: Wow. So much value created that would have just been ignored before. That was an amazing answer. Thank you. And for entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, I think that will be very valuable. And well, that brings me to one of my last questions because I have a few ideas, um, and I think we just don't have the science necessarily to back up um, some of what I'm passionate about. But I want to share my challenges and impact entrepreneur with you. So, um, are you aware of the hemp plant? The hemp?
0: Oh yes, the plant. Of course. I'm aware.
1: Yeah. Right. So hemp. Well, from my understanding, uh, and just with history. Using the term marijuana to blanket that plant has just caused a ton of confusion. And just to clarify because it is confusing, cannabis and hemp come from the same family but they are two different plants, whereas cannabis is the psychoactive one used for medicine, and hemp is the non-psychoactive one used for industrial purposes. And from all the literature I've read, hemp seems to be the most sustainable, versatile crop on the planet that has completely been overlooked because of these outdated laws. More importantly, you can replace plastic and synthetic fibers with natural hemp fibers. You can print paper on hemp as opposed to lumber so you can stop cutting down forests. And at the same time, you can burn hemp stock for 100% renewable energy as well. But because of these outdated laws, no one seems to know this. And with the reality in the US of, you know, 38 states having medical now, and you're exploring that, while the perception is that it's still a schedule one substance, and which means it's too dangerous to even research or or to recommend as, as a medicine, yet it's legal in 20. So I just I see that as a big opportunity. Now, my question to you is, why do you think hemp has been so widely ignored as a prime crop for sustainability? Is that something you've you've come across at all? It might not, but just curious because you seem like an intelligent um, person. So,
0: yeah, no, I, I I have not come across it. Although I see an increasing number of uh, uh, impact uh, ventures in the agricultural area. I think part of the reason why a lot of uh, undiscovered potential lies today in these new ways of, of thinking. If people get used to the world as it is. And you need entrepreneurs to come with a vision of the world as it can be and it should be to disrupt the status, the status quo.
1: Right. And
0: uncover opportunities like clean energy, which previously hadn't been thought about. Now when you begin to think In terms of risk, return and impact, it takes you to different uh, uh, ways of uh, of bringing impact than you would have considered if you hadn't been able to use investment to achieve it, right? So if you'd been saying, let's go and raise philanthropic capital to, you know, to cultivate a certain crop, it would have been difficult to get to scale. Of course. Now that you begin to understand that the combination of risk return impact could enable you to deliver even better returns, and therefore to attract investment, then you can put together a business plan that makes sense for it. So, if you believe passionately in it, you should prepare a business plan, show how you would measure the impact that your venture would uh, would would create. Show mm-hmm. how you would deliver financial return. Show why it would be able to grow quickly because of latent demand which hasn't been uh, satisfied. You have to you have to turn it to action, Jordan.
1: Yes, I understand. And well, I've learned. I've I've put in the work. I've read the literature, and you know strongest natural fiber in the world it's the most healthy plant seed we know on the planet uh yet you don't hear anything about it so i've got my tasks uh ready for me thank you i will do that so uh sir ronald thank you again for coming on the podcast and can you tell us just where people can find your book and why they should pick up a copy
0: absolutely my book is available on amazon everywhere it's been translated into 10 different uh, languages I have made the, the ebook uh, as cheap as uh, my publishers will, will allow. I think in the U.S. it's $2.99. Uh, um, and uh, all of the royalties are going to Impact Charities. So please go buy the book, read it, spread the word about uh, Impact, and join this
1: revolution. Thank you so much, Sarani. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Lovely to meet you, Jordan. Good luck. And that is it for episode 82, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Sir Ronald Cohen. I know I did, and I got a ton of value out of it. And I would recommend picking up his book *Impact*, just because it really did give me a brighter outlook of the future, despite you know everything that's going on. It he does provide solutions uh, into questions and ideas I had in my head with words that I hadn't come across yet. So it's just it's very powerful, and he has done amazing things in the venture capital space and as an investor. So definitely someone to learn from going forward. Now you can find all of his information in the show notes. I've put it all there, but if you enjoyed this podcast, please send it to any friends or like-minded individuals, as I just want to help spread the knowledge, and if you wouldn't mind going to leave a review or rating, as it really helps out my podcast, I would really appreciate it, and i love to know who's listening. That being said, you can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and at anchor.fm slash highly invested. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in again. This is your host, Jordan, highly signing off. Stay highly invested in yourselves, everybody. Till next time.